Welcome to the Open Adoption Project. This is episode 63. We're the Nelsons. I'm Sean, and in this episode, my wife Lynette does an interview with Amanda Justice. Please excuse both of our voices. We've been a little bit sick. Luckily, we're both feeling a lot better, but we don't sound quite right yet. So thanks for your patience with our sick voices, and we hope that you stay healthy this season. Amanda is a transracial adoptee who is an advocate, educator, and an empowerer for those who are in a similar situation as her. You can learn a lot more about Amanda on her Instagram, which is at blackgirlwhitefamily. She also has a website with the same URL, so it's blackgirlwhitefamily.com. We'll put a link to both of those in the show notes to this episode. In this episode, Lynette and Amanda talk about what it's like to be a transracial adoptee. And Amanda shares a lot of really good advice for prospective adoptive parents, those who might be considering adopting a child that is a different race than them, and some of the things that they might need to consider. We've been looking forward to connect with Amanda for quite some time, and we're really happy that we can share this episode with you now. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Amanda Justice. Well, we are here on the podcast with Amanda Justice. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. To start off, can we have you share a bit about who you are, where you're from, and what some of the things you are passionate about are? Yeah, so I am originally from New York, born and raised. I am now living in Maryland with my family, with my daughter, my husband. As far as passionate, I... I'm a passionate person in general. So when I find something that I'm into, that's my passion. And I feel like over the years, it's been hard for me to kind of narrow it down to one thing because I just love doing so many different things and everything that I do, I feel I'm passionate about. So one of them, um, I love traveling and I love talking. I love helping other people. I really like I would say like, I, I, my dad used to say all the time, he's like, you know, you talk so much. And I was just like, well, I might as well put it to use, you know, so advocating for other adoptees and, you know, speaking up for people who are less likely or cannot speak up for themselves is something that I'm very passionate about. Well, we are so happy to have you here. That's how we found you because you speak up so much about things that you're passionate about in the adoption community. And I'm so grateful for that. So thank you for what you're doing. All right. So can you share some of your adoption story, whatever you'd like to share? would just love to hear a bit more about you and how you're connected to the adoption community. Yeah, sure. So I am um, an adult transracial adoptee. I was born into an Italian Irish American home um, at three days old, closed adoption, didn't know. I mean, I would say very little information about my birth mother. It was very little. Not sure if that was done on purpose or it was more like my mom was going to give it to me as I asked, which I could understand why. Grew up 45 minutes outside of the city. My parents adopted um, a boy from New Mexico about a year after they adopted me. We're multicultural family, love to travel, my parents were teachers, so we did. And I think that's where my my love for traveling came into play because we were always somewhere. Like we were never home, whether it was a family member's house or, a, you know, another state. We were always traveling. Um, so that gave us a lot of time to be together and to have family time. That was pretty much growing up. 
I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. Went to a, went to a diverse school. The, the school was pretty much diverse, but I still struggled a lot with trying to figure out who I was, you know, as a, as a woman, a black woman, um, where I fit in. So that was a real struggle. It was a real challenge, which thankfully I have managed to overcome, you know, today. Um, but it was difficult. And in high school, I was really, really, really struggling. And I remember somebody said, "What do you want to What do you want to go to college for?" And I said college like I knew I wanted to go but it's so weird how this one question triggered this thought in my head and I said well how am I supposed to even know what I want to do if I don't even know who I am and mom was like well what do you mean you don't know who you are I said I don't know who I am I don't know where I come from like how am I supposed to continue on with life it's it's the end it's high school and you know for all this time it was like yeah I go to you know, fifth grade, sixth grade, I'm in sports, I'm in this, I'm in so many different activities. Now I'm about to graduate. What am I going to do in my life? Now the focus, you know what I mean? From the sports and all this stuff. Now what do I do? So my mother, after tons of talks and community, you know, all this other stuff, you know, I asked her if we could search for my birth mother. And like I said, it was pushed back at first, but she explained to me why. And she just didn't know what her response was going to be and how I would be able to, to handle it, whatever the outcome was. So after about, I guess, a good three week long, you know, kind of conversation on and off, she said, okay, like, we'll, we'll do it. She got a PO box in a town that was like next to ours. And she started to write letters to people because she knew my mom's first name and last name. Back in the day, they used to have on the talk shows, remember you used to have like find your long lost family member and they would have the guy on the talk show when you would call this number it was something like that where they gave us a list of names but my mother's my birth mother's name was so popular there were pages and pages and pages so we just started to start in the tri-state area around where I was born so we started with New York and then worked our way out and then probably I'm gonna say no more than a month later she reached out and it was her so I started, you know, to form a relationship with her. I found out that I actually had an older sister who was three and a half years older than me, but my mom actually ended up keeping her and raising her. So at first I was excited to have a sister, but then after I was like, but, but wait a second, what was so great about her, you know, and what was so wrong with me? So then that started to kind of ponder in my head. Relationship was good at first, or I thought it was. I think I was so overwhelmed by the 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 you know reunion that I didn't realize what was actually happening. And it started to become very toxic, unhealthy. It was like that way for oh, probably about 23 years. Wow. 23 years. And just probably up until about 2018. No, I'm going to say 2019. That's when we really kind of just, I, I couldn't do it anymore couldn't do it anymore so it's been about three years and the interesting thing was is I kind of moved out here to be closer to them so we could kind of continue to build our relationship and as soon as I got out here it, it's you know and and as adoptees you you have that hope you know you want that little bit of hope where it's like okay maybe this time it'll be better and I and I compared it to you know an abusive relationship right Stockholm syndrome, something like that, where it's just like, you know, that they're doing you wrong, you know, that, you know, this is not right. But maybe this time, it'll be different. I understand because she said she loves me. So she wouldn't do this to hurt me. Maybe it is me. Maybe I just need to stop being so sensitive. 
And this is what happened. And this is what happened. And yeah, 23 years seems like a long time, but I had a lot of other stuff going on. You know, I became a mother. I was going to college. I was, you know, doing all this stuff. So 23 years could go by like that, you know? So, um, so yeah, so, I mean, it, it was, it was a long time, you know, two decades, but, you know, eventually I just said, you know what, I have to do what's best for me. So, um, stopped talking to them, started seeing a therapist who specialized in racial identity, transracial adoption. She changed my life, the therapist. Just this one person was like, you know, this is what's going on. Your feelings are valid. That changed my whole life. That led into me creating a YouTube channel where I started to talk about my experiences. And people started to email me and say, oh my gosh, me too. This is what happened. I was like, there's no way. Now I knew that maybe somebody could relate to it, but I never actually thought it would take me to where it has taken me. The YouTube channel, you know, started doing that. And then I said, you know what, let me create an Instagram. Next thing you know, I found the adoption community. Wait a second. This person says that they're adopted from, you know, in a white family. I was like, this is so weird. It was, it was surreal because now I'm looking at people who are like me, who I thought that I was this, this, you know, strange or odd creature who, you know, I was the only one who was placed into this white family and felt like this. Everybody around me, you know, had a great life and, you know, was able to confidently identify with their own race and, you know, feel strong and confident about their family and their background and know where they came from. You know, they resemble each other. You look just like your mom. You look just like your dad, you know, and I'm now I'm meeting all these different individuals from all different backgrounds that could really understand how I feel. So um, it was overwhelming. It was very overwhelming. But then I said, you know what, I need to, I need to help the younger generation because they don't have, they shouldn't have to go through what I went through these last 30 something years, just for me to feel secure in my own body. So that's why I started doing consulting. I started doing education. I started speaking up. Um, and just connecting with other adoptees and, you know, doing stuff like this podcast and really just letting people know, like, you know, there's more to it. You know, when you're taking a child home, um, you know, when you're adopting a child or when you choose to go this route, this is not fun and games. It's not like, oh my gosh, we get to take a baby home and this is it. There's work. There's work. And if you're not up for it or you're not going to do it, then don't do it. You know, um, you know, and in my, on my trainings and all my stuff, I'm very transparent and very open with the parents. And, you know, um, I will tell them like, I, I don't think this is for you. I don't think this is for you. And then you have parents who are like hitting everything, like they understand where it's like, you know, they know, you know, so that's pretty much, you know, that's the short version of, you know what I mean? The last I'm going to say, you know, 30 something years, you know, up until present day. Wow. So can you talk more about your YouTube channel, your consulting, all of these different things that you're doing to help? So, yeah. So YouTube, um, that has been, there's videos up there, but I have not created more videos because I was so engaged with the Instagram portion of it. I just, I'm like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it and I get distracted. So I can't do too many things at once. So, um, you know, I still have my YouTube channel up there. It's something that I, I keep it up there because I want to be able to continue it in the future. But, you know, stuff just keeps happening. Why do my um, 
boyfriend at the time have to propose and then we had to plan a wedding and then you know now we're having a baby you know what I'm saying so all these things keep happening that you know um are great things but you know it's kind of like I have told myself that I am going to put my mental health first I'm going to put my family first I'm going to do certain things that make me happy and then that's going to come so which which is hard to do because I was used, it used to be the opposite used to get overwhelmed you know all that stuff and then nothing would get done so, um, so yeah, so I did that Instagram. Um, it was more like just people reaching out to me really. And, um, you know, sharing my story. And then I said, you know what I said, if I could really talk to these parents and really educate them and tell them and explain to them what I personally went through, it could try to change their perspective and they could learn through my perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's really where the consulting comes in. Fantastic. Do you have a website? Sure. Yep. It's um, www.blackgirlwhitefamily.com. That's where, that's basically all my stuff. <laughs> my Instagram, blackgirlwhitefamily.com. Same with my email. It's okay. all, you know, same. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Um, also, another really quick follow-up question do you have advice for finding a really good therapist when, as a transracial adoptee, adoptee you were talking about mm-hmm. how that was life-changing? And I know a lot of people struggle with finding the right therapist. Do you have advice for finding a good therapist as a transracial adoptee? Um, don't settle. <laughs> don't settle. I mean, you have to really, it has to be, it's a relationship. And regardless if you're, you know, paying them out of pocket or using an insurance card, it's still a relationship and you have to be comfortable, you know, in order to share. And I'll be honest, there are things with her that I, that I didn't share that I'm still not ready that I still wasn't ready to honestly share with anybody. Um, But when I looked for a therapist, I made sure it was a woman of color um, somebody who was very close, um, you know, to me, and also someone who had experience in adoption, racial identity, um, and also, um, I think it was relationships. Okay. And now that I think about it, it was odd, but you know what I realized? I realized that my relationships with people could have been a lot better. And I had a lot of failed relationships and not, you know, you know, intimate. I mean, with even, you know, just girlfriends, just, you know, having friends because of um, my, my lack of trust with people. And one of the things is that if my, if somebody who gave me life could treat me like that and do me like that, what makes you any different? And that just always had in the back of my mind, which, it's okay to be cautious. It's okay to, you know, be aware, but that's not healthy to think like that because you're always on edge. You're always like, what are you going to do? I'm just waiting for you to do something. And it caused me to back away from people. So if I felt like you were deceiving me in any type of way, if you were just anything, that's it. A man is going to shut down and I'm going, (laughs) you know, I mean, that's it. So I really need to had to get over that and learn how to actually have a relationship um, to verbalize to people what I wanted, you know, and also reciprocate that, you know, just to not, you know, so it's not just one way. So, um, so I feel like that helps a lot. So you really need to kind of think about, you know, what do you want to achieve? 
I wanted to have healthy relationships. So relationships, I wanted to feel more confident who I was, racial identity. I want to understand that this whole adoption thing was not my fault. Adoption trauma. So those are the key things that I searched for, which it could be different for everybody, but those were the things that I really wanted to improve about myself. So I think that you know, think about things that it is that you want to improve, but make sure that they have those key elements where it's adoption or where it's racial identity, because this could be tied in to whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. And that's where, you know, people that don't specialize in those things where it could be, you know, they could be misled and things, you know, they're not addressing underlying issues that you're sitting there wasting your time. I think that's really great advice. Thank you so much. You're welcome. All right. So how do you think your experiences as an adoptee have led you to where you are today? Um, I always say that could be me. So foster care, when I hear about kids in foster care, when I hear about pe- kids getting taken away from their parents or something like that, it makes me look at things so differently and I mean, in a way, I feel blessed that that wasn't me in that situation, but I'm also, and I guess there's a name for it. And I guess it's kind of like survivor's guilt. You know what I mean? Where you kind of feel guilty. So it's changed me because I've become a better mother. I've become, I feel like it shaped me into a better woman, just knowing that I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that parent. Um, you know, if I, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make sure that my child is with me, that she has is safe and secure. So, um, you know, just being an adoptee has changed me. At first, I didn't think I was ever going to have kids, you know, because I was afraid that I didn't want, I didn't want to damage my children. I didn't want to, you know, be that generational cycle of, you know, trauma and stuff like that. And don't get me wrong, it it took a long time for me to get out of some things. And still, there's still work that I need to do. But I'm able to, to, I'm more aware of what I'm doing, where I'm like, okay, Amanda, this is not good. This is something that you have to, you know, you know, this is wrong, you know, and we have to step it back. Um, Because there's some stuff that that genetically that I have that is just a part of me. Mm-hmm. And it scares me that I don't want to be like that. My, you know, and not to talk about my mother's a narcissist, you know, my biological, she's a narcissist. So I, I don't, I, I try so hard to not be that. And it's, it's, it's hard at times. You talked about how, when you talk to adoptive parents or prospective adoptive parents, mm-hmm. sometimes you kind of get this vibe and you're just like, you know, you guys really shouldn't do this. Like this isn't a good fit. Mm-hmm. What do you think some of the key things that you would look for or recommend to potential adoptive parents to know and understand about transracial adoption before doing it? What what would some of those things be? So one of the things is, is that if I'm meeting with somebody and they actually have no clue, they're just like, you know, we want to adopt. We have no, we, we don't care what race it is. You know, we, you know, there's certain things that people say, and I understand that it's not, you know, it, it shouldn't be scripted, right? It shouldn't be scripted. I'm not looking for you to say certain things, but it tells me a lot about the type of person or that maybe the potential, what, what, what could be an issue in the future? Mm-hmm. So when I talk to them, 
I ask about lifestyle. This is something where I've learned over the last couple of years that is a key indicator on how you guys are willing or how well you would do. One of the things is where do you live now? Now, if they want to adopt a black child, but they live in the middle of nowhere around white people, what's the reason? Why don't you live in a more diverse area? Because I'm going to be honest, me even being a black, black woman and having a black child and a black husband, I want to be in diversity. I do. So what is it that doesn't, you know, so it's just certain things like that where we talk about lifestyle. How's your family? How does your family get along? How, you know, how does your family feel about this? And these certain questions will help to see whether or not this might be a good fit. And to be honest, it's all about, you know, in here. And like I said, it's trial and error. At first, when I first started doing this, it was completely different. Now I could really gauge and really kind of tell where I'm just like, oh yeah, you guys, like you guys are definitely on the right page. I always, always, always recommend education. Don't just do education just so you could pass your home study, just so you can hand in your certificates and you could do this. Don't do that. When you, once you have this child in your home and even before, you should still be educating. YouTube, Instagram, whatever it is, there's free education. There's paid education. There's so many different resources out here where there's no excuse where you should not, you know, say, oh, I didn't know. Or, oh, this wasn't available. No, it's not. And if you feel like you want to adopt a, a child of color, but you don't have any experience, you've never been around a black person, you never talked to one, you don't have any, that, that's something to me, it's weird. It like, I'm having a, it's, it's weird to me, you know, because that's, you're just opening the doors for, for more racism, for hurt. And that poor child, they're not going to be able to thrive in an environment like that. You know, it's, it's just, it's going to be very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved what you said about education and the importance for ongoing education. It doesn't stop as a parent always need to yeah. learning. Mm -hmm. So exactly. important. Yeah. So looking at your own adoptive family, what do you feel like they did well in regards to your adoption with helping you to feel more peace or acceptance? Um, they always stepped out of their comfort zone and they always had my back no matter what. Those two things, um, it wasn't enough, but it was, it, it did a lot. Because I always knew that no matter what, if it was a child picking on me, if it was something like that, I know I could go to my dad and my dad would handle it. It, it. it didn't matter. You know, I knew that if I had a bad day or I had something, you know, something was going on, my mom would, would handle it and she would take care of it, you know? So no matter who it was, even if it had to do with my own biological mother, they always had my back. It was like, yeah, I understand that this is, you know, your biological child, but this is my daughter. And, I, you know, this is not going to happen, you know, and they always had my back and always made sure that I felt safe and secure. And years ago, they didn't have resources that they had today. They just had to do what they did best, you know, like just do what, whatever, you know, came naturally. So based off of that, I feel like they did a pretty good job um you know even with the lack of education and you know um I guess just exposure to certain things we I mean we we did certain things that would expose me to my culture too uh here and there but um 
one of the most things is that they just, it was just, they were so supportive in everything. And so you said that they did help you connect to your culture. And did you feel like they helped you have racial mirrors or do other things like that? Racial mirrors? Not really. My mother had um, an African-American woman as a best friend who she met by asking the woman if she could help her teach her how to do my hair. So it was just a random person that she met in the supermarket and they ended up being friends for 35 years. So that was really like the family that they did everything with us, but they moved away when I was young. Like I feel like they met, we met them when I was like four and then they moved away by the time I was like 10. So for those six, seven years or whatever, it was like, we did everything holidays and did all this stuff together. And then all of a sudden they moved all the way to Tennessee. So when they moved, I was like, no, you know? And I mean, trying to keep up when we were so young and life is going on and trying to communicate, you know, we didn't travel like that year. I mean, back in the nineties, I don't know. You just didn't, you did, but it wasn't on planes a lot. I mean, our family didn't, um, you know, a lot of it was road trips, you know? So, I mean, we didn't see each other that much unless they really came to New York. Um, but that was really pretty much what I had. My pediatrician, my mom said she tried to find one, but the closest she could get was an Asian man. <laughs> so, I mean, she was like, well, it was a minority. Okay, mom. But that was the closest. There was no, I had a black principal in high school, I think. There were some black teachers, but the racial mirrors I saw were the other students that I interacted with and that I attended school with once I got into grade school uh, that were around me. So if you could go back in time and teach the social workers and your adoptive parents just one thing, like what would that most important thing be that you wish you could go back? Just be open-minded, be open-minded, understand that people, people do stuff. There's, there's, there's two things. People do stuff because they are naive and they don't know any better. Yeah. And then people do stuff because they feel that they can and they can't get away. They could just get away. They just do things because they can. Um, and I feel like if you take time to learn and to get to know people and to get to know more about people than judging them, that things would be a lot different. It would be a lot different for me because things were different until my, they found out my parents were white. So I was just another kid. You know what I mean? In the school next to them. Once they found out, that, you know, and I feel like the teachers weren't up to par. They had no idea what, you know, it just wasn't popular. I don't even remember having another transracial adoptee in my school. Wow. So, you know, cultural sensitivity training, you know, stuff like that needs to be taught not only to staff and teachers, but I feel like it should be done in school. Just the, based off of the way society is today, we need to do more interacting and, and learning about other cultures and things that are not so common. Not that I wanted to be a poster child and be like, oh, she's a transracial adoptee. But one of the things I remember is my mom used to take me out of school to get my hair done. And she used to take me to get my hair box braided. And years ago, we used to get something called micro braids and they would take 10 to 12 hours a day. So I needed to be out of school. And the next day when I would come back into school with a new hairstyle, my teacher would basically point it out. And she was like, oh, I knew what you were doing. You're only out to get your hair done. Amanda got her hair done. You know, oh, look at that. So it was like putting the spotlight on me 
when, you know, Sally Sue or whatever could have got a haircut and she would have came in and nobody would have said, you know, oh, you look so pretty. And then that's it. So it's just certain things like that where, you know, the teacher kind of made me feel uncomfortable. Like I stood out. So it's just certain things like that, that, um, you know, teachers need to go through. Yeah. And, you know, they need, to, they need to learn. They need to learn more about certain things like that, because I feel like that was inappropriate. And if I knew what to say when I was younger, I would have said something to my mom, but I knew it made me feel uncomfortable, but I didn't know how to express it and verbally, you know, say, okay, this is not right. Yeah. What advice would you give to other adoptees and to their families who are searching for birth family? Because I know you talked about how your experience was hard. <laughs> your mother tried to help kind of brace you for that, but probably didn't really know what to be doing. So yeah, what would your advice be? So yeah, so she she kind of, we went through every possible outcome. At the end of the day, you can never be 100% prepared. My advice for the adoptees is do the work on yourself first, do, whether it's, you know, healing or whatever you have to do, do the work on yourself first, because you need to be mentally, mentally and emotionally strong, as strong as can be. And I'm going to say that because I'm an emotional person. So you really have to be prepared for any possible outcome. Not saying to prepare for the worst, but just know that it's every reunion is not a good reunion. Mine started off like a dream come true. It was something that I only dreamed about and it turned out ending in a nightmare. So who knew that it was going to end like that? So that's what I have for, you know, adoptees. Make sure you just do the work on yourself. You know, have a great support system. Find somebody that you're comfortable with. And make sure that you're doing it for you. Don't do it for the pressure because you see other people, you know, reuniting or, you know, this, that, and that there. Make sure you're doing it for you and that, you know, you, you'll be able to pretty much kind of get through or kind of cope with whatever the decision is. Um, for adoptive parents, if your child comes to you and they say that they, you know, they want to find their biological family, be supportive. Be supportive. Do not tell them that they can't. You know, be open and honest with them. Like, I guess my mom did and said, you know, these are the different outcomes. This is what it could be. But be honest with them. Be supportive because you don't want them to just turn their backs on you or, you know, or regret, you know, just, you know, I guess get mad at you because you weren't supportive. And then next thing you know, you know, as soon as they get a chance to do it, then they're going to leave you, you know, or whatever. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit dramatic, but you never know. The support is better. And then also for biological parents, um, they need to know that, you know, we, we're both been through trauma, you know, biological parents, birth parents and adoptees. If your birth child wants to connect with you, let them connect, answer some questions. Even if, you know, you're not planning on having a relationship, they deserve answers and they deserve to have at least some bit of closure. Just allow them to do it. Even if it's from a distance, just give it to them because nobody wants to live their life having all these questions unanswered or just up in the air and trying to figure out what if or what did I do wrong? You know, let them know that it's not their fault because that could help them move forward in life. You mentioned that growing up, you had a really hard time with developing your racial identity mm -hmm. and feeling comfortable in your own skin and with who you are. So what are some of your thoughts on how we can better support adoptees and help them as they're working on sorting through these challenges? 
don't think there's much, and this is this is gonna it's gonna sound weird when I answer it. I don't think there's much that like individuals can do. It's more of society as a whole because we're especially as a black woman, it's kind of already decided on how I should be or what I am or what I'm capable of or how I should act, you know, all these different things. So when you grow up in a white family, you're, these things are not made aware. You know, you don't know about these things. You're not seeing your aunt, your mother, you know, hearing these talks go on in your household. You're thinking everything is fine because I'm hearing conversations that white women have. So when it comes to the real world, when I'm stepping outside there and I'm thinking everything is great and this is what I'm going to do. And it's kind of like a brick wall. And you're like, whoa, wait, this isn't so easy. I actually have to prove myself. I actually have to work and I actually have to, you know, do certain things and do, you know, more things in order for me to ex at least get in the front door. You know, I might not even feel accepted, but at least just get into the door and have a seat. So these things were very hard for me to deal with because I was part of that colorblind home. Everybody looked at me like I was the same. Society didn't look at me like that when I was, you know, outside. So it was very different. It was very difficult to kind of say, you know, have a reality check on, wait a second, I can't do this. And a lot of times what I talk about is the white umbrella privilege that I had growing up. I grew up. I know what it's like. I've seen white privilege with my own eyes. It exists. And then I also know how it is not having it and being out here by myself. But I also experienced it in two different ways. So it's kind of like, you know, people tell me like, listen, like, girl, you don't have to tell me because I already know. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've experienced certain things, you know. So, um, I mean, it's it's really like, you know, do your education. It's, it's stigmas, it's stereotypes. It's, you know, get to know someone before you judge them. Get to know someone as a person, as an individual before you judge them. So um, it's just about people educating themselves. It really is educating yourselves. Watch a movie, watch a show, talk to somebody. You know, it, it's really, that's what it is. Immerse yourself in a diverse community and, and see exactly what the, what, the, what the Black community is talking about, what their issues are, what they're discussing, uh, what, what they're into, whatever it is. But really, people need to get more connected with each other and intertwined. That's beautiful. Wow. Yeah, that's so heavy and important. Mm -hmm. How do you make people educate themselves? I wish I knew, but... That's great advice. Thank you. And I feel like people learn by accident mm -hmm. or by purpose. You know what I mean? If you think about it, most of the time, a lot of things are by accident because you do stuff and then you're like, oh, that didn't work out. Okay. You know, that's how I learned. I learned by making mistakes. My mom could tell me something over and over again until I actually did it and then failed. And I was like, yeah, she was right. Then that's different. You know, so, I mean, it really, everybody learns a different way. You know, some people, you just got to shove it in their face and then, you know, but you have to be willing, you know, you really have to be willing to do it. So if somebody says, oh, well, you have to go to school to become a dentist, but I don't want to be a dentist. How invested am I going to be in those studies? Oh, well, okay. We want you to be a physical therapist. Oh, now you're talking. I like the sound of that because you're just going to be more invested. So 
it depends. Some people just don't want to, they don't want to face reality and realize that there's problems going on in this world. They still exist. They rather just make, make you know, if, if it's not talked about, it doesn't exist. It never happened. And that's how a lot of people live their lives with blinders on. Yeah. In your experience, what would you say we can do as an adoption community to better support adoptees as they address trauma and all of these different struggles we've been talking about? It's very important for adoptees to be heard and listened to a lot of the experts and the experts, which I say not so much the adoptees, the other experts where they're saying, this is what needs to be done. This is a lot of this information people are taking from adoptees experiences and taking, you know, this stuff and then putting a, you know, a, a, a title on it or putting something on it and then using it as a resource. But a lot of this stuff is coming from adoptees and all of us have so many, well, I would say our, all our stories are so unique. Mm -hmm. All our stories, you're not, you're going to find similarities, definitely. But everyone's story is different. And it's important to figure, to, to, to know that um, everything is just not great. There are adoptees who have horrible, horrible experiences in these families. Then you have some where I'm just like, oh, wow, that was great, you know? So you really need to listen to adoptees because we are the ones who are in the middle of the triad. We have the connection with the adoptive parent. We have the connection with the biological parent. We are the one who gets torn in between. And it's very difficult to try to play both sides. Some people, it's, you know, it's it's difficult because I had to do that. I had to be torn in between where, yeah, but you you haven't spent holidays with us. We just met you and we want you to spend, then my family, my adopt family, well, we're your family. We've been here since day one. What are you doing? So you really need to listen to adoptees and listen to their perspective, the stories and everything that they've experienced. So you understand where they're coming from. We're not being dramatic. We're not being, um, you know, we're just not screaming and yelling just because we just feel like getting attention. These are real life situations and things that people have gone through that some of them never get over ever. People do not know their actual birth dates their actual, where they came from. I could have, I, I mean, I know where, you know, I was, but I'm like, could you imagine that you don't even know your, your date of birth? That it was just actually a made up number that was put on there. You don't even know. You could be five years old or younger, who knows? But um, I'm just saying, you know, I mean, that's a little far-fetched, but you know, it's still, you, you don't know who you are. You're looking at these documents are these real? Is this real? Is this fake? What is this? Why is this information blacked out? I don't understand why I can't even see names on my own birth certificate. This is mine mm -hmm. and I don't have a right to it. This is what people need to hear because things need to be changed according to what we are struggling with and what would help us to move forward and to help us put our pieces together. Um, that sometimes people don't even have the resources to be able to, you know, to, to know where to start. So not saying that adoptive parents and birth parents don't count, but the, 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 you know, the, the brunt of, I guess, all the trauma and the emotions and stuff like that, or, or we have to kind of suck it up and deal with it. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. 
adoptees really are like at the center of they're being affected the most and they have the least voice in all yeah. situations and yeah yeah that's great to think about and talk about so what else would you like to talk about is there anything else that is on your mind today not really I just feel that it's it's something that I realized where I said before where it's it's emotional labor and even sometimes I will be very active on Instagram or very active on stuff and I have to remember not to lose myself. So I need to step back and it might not be completely like, you know, but I may have to take that time out for myself. And like I said, yesterday I did like a self care day, you know, stuff like that, because I need to make sure that I'm right for my family, for my husband, for my daughter. You know, I'm about to start all over again. My daughter's going to be going to college next year. So it's a lot going on where I need to make sure that I'm right. And then everything else could, you know, is okay. Because if my household is not good, how am I supposed to help the next person get their stuff together? So that's why I need to take the time. And it's okay for you to step back. You don't have to. And I know there's a lot of adoptees, content creators, you know, educators, stuff like that. Make sure that you're taking the time out for yourself. Because I'm going to tell you, I will definitely get off that Instagram in a heartbeat to watch a movie with my husband or something like that. Or, you know, just take some time to, you know, go shopping or go for a drive, go for walks. It's been so beautiful out here last, you know, month or so. And I've been feeling better. So I've been taking out that time. My mental health is is amazing. My emotional well-being is great. I'm building better relationships with my daughter. So, I mean, it's it's all worth it, you know? So make sure you're taking out the time for yourself. Um, you know, the adoption community, it'll be here. <laughs> it'll be here forever. And, you know, use your voice. Keep advocating for what you believe in. And that's pretty much it. Thank you so much, Amanda. I have loved talking to you. You're welcome. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, we just want to give a huge thanks to Amanda for taking some time to be with us, to share it with all of us from her experience. I personally walk away from this episode with a a lot of takeaways. One thing, though, that is just standing out to me is that we always need to keep educating ourselves. When we think we've arrived, when we think we've learned it all, um, we're wrong. We, we haven't. And there's a lot that we can do that we can take an initiative to do to educate ourselves, especially here in our community of adoption. The more that we can listen to different voices, the better we're going to understand different perspectives and experiences, and the better we'll be able to help provide the best situation for adoptees, both current and future adoptees. So again, thanks so much to Amanda and Lynette for this great conversation. And we hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Open Adoption Project.